Welcome to Cooper and Carey Have Words. My name is James Carey. I live in the southwest of England. England is one of the kingdoms of the United Kingdom, and my fellow British countryman, Barry Cooper, has left these shores for pastures new and uh, green and pleasant in Florida, in the land. Hello, Barry Cooper. Hello, the United Kingdom of States. That's where I am. <laughs> and it's great to talk to you, James. Uh, we are grasping a hot potato. Uh, between our sweaty palms and going with it, what is that hot potato that we are grasping? That hot potato we are holding without gauntlets or oven gloves is the chosen Mm. uh, (laughs) smash hit uh, sensation from Angel Studios. Um, And we're going to be talking about that. It's been running for a while. We're not going to do all the facts and figures about it because you all know what we're talking about. And Mm. uh, it's been wildly popular. And we're sort of thinking, and we've, if it's fair to say, we've rather resisted watching it. Is that that's fair? I think it's the slightly contrarian nature in that literally everybody uh, I bump into, it seems like at church, lots of folks at church love it and watch it. And it almost feels, you feel a bit guilty. You've not seen The Chosen and you call yourself a Christian. Uh, it just seems like an unthinkable thing to, to not be watching it. I haven't really not watched it out of any kind of principle. Mm. I just generally am not a huge fan of sort of biblical adaptations. I tend to find them a bit creaky, a bit cheesy, a bit distracting. Um, but we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of yeah. And maybe there are deeper reasons for not watching it, yeah. possibly. Yeah. And I think we can pick straight up there by saying, so I watched one last night. I watched the one yeah. about Nicodemus for ones okay. I shall for reasons I shall explain a little bit later. But one thing it wasn't was cheesy. And one thing it wasn't was mm. creaky. And so I think mm. one of the appeals of it is it feels like a uh, a Bible show with a modern sensibility mm. um, and a modern kind of idiom, and it kind of look it looks like proper telly, you know, like Production the stuff values. that like the stuff that non Christians make, um, right. or in this case, like the ones that Mormons make. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so you know, and that in itself is a bit of an issue. But overall, I think what maybe people are responding to is it feels like. This seems pretty adjacent to the scriptures. This seems to be taking scripture seriously. And it's not a verbatim um, sort of attempt to film it, like, you know, the Gospel of Mark. There was a Mark movie and all those sorts of things, or the Passion of the Christ and those sorts of things. They jump around the chronology, is that right? Yeah, I mean, they do jump around the chronology, which I think is, is one of my big problems with it. But in a way, what they've done is they've made it like a TV program. And if you were adapting, you know, any other ancient text into it you you could do the same and no one would criticize you for it if you did this with the canterbury tales or the epic of gilgamesh or whatever people go well of course you're not going to do it verbatim word for word what is is wrong with you so i think it it looks it looks like the kind of way that you would adapt um the bible particularly the gospels particularly the life of christ um so that's maybe what people are responding to do you think yeah that seems that 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 seem that does that does seem right. Mm. Um, the other big thread that I've heard in people who've talked about it um, and who've enjoyed it is that they say it's really helped to bring the gospels alive for me. It's helped me to see certain connections between things and people that I'd not seen previously when reading scripture. So it's helped me to understand the Bible 
in mm. that sense. Um, is that fair, do you think, to say that? What well, do you think on that? it's not for us to say that they haven't enjoyed it for that reason. Oh, it's yeah, really right. brought it to life for me. No, it hasn't. Um, it's really helped <laughs> me see connections that I didn't realise were there before. No, it didn't. Um, yeah. It's like, it <laughs> feels like a Python sketch, doesn't it? So I'd like to have an argument, yeah. please. Um, nice. So, yes, I, I think that is a completely legit thing because I think perhaps this is a failure of how we handle the church in how we handle the Bible in church and in preaching and in reading, that suddenly mm. the Bible is coming alive in that way. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that the moment you fill out all the detail and that you've got a cinematographer actually working on what they call the mise-en-scene, which is the composition <laughs> of the of the actual piece, um, right. then we shouldn't be particularly surprised that suddenly it really pops off the screen. So I think, again, people are responding to the fact and people can hear that we're about to say them, but it's even so, it's still not right. Um, but so, yeah, it, I think it is compelling in that sense. I think it is, it does fill in the blanks. And full disclosure, um, I have in my hand, at least I do now, a copy of mm. my book called The Gospel According to a Sitcom Writer. Seamless, yeah. It is available in the only bookshop you're actually going to use, which is Amazon. In it, I sort of have wild bits of speculation reading between the lines, between disciples, for example. So I have a little chat, for example, between Philip and Nathaniel. After Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip says, well, what's that supposed to mean? Um, and then they sort of go, oh, hang on, what's this? You know, it's like... And they go into the significance of Jesus being from Nazareth, which is nothing's happened in Nazareth. Why, why, would, why would the saviour come from Nazareth? You know, it's like, in British terms, it's like saying the saviour's here. He's from Milton Keynes. You think, no, mm. I don't. If the saviour's coming from anywhere, it's not Milton Keynes. It will be from Windsor or a Scottish castle <laughs> or, you know, Canterbury or to some founding historic place. He was born in Runnymede, you know, where the Magna Carta, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I kind of have these speculations. I've got a sketch where the disciples are chatting after Jesus walks on water and Peter comes out of the boat and goes with him. And John is basically teasing him because it's a very bizarre thing that Peter does, isn't it? When Peter says, tell me to come out onto the water with you. So what, what a weird thing to say. Um, and so as they're drying their clothes afterwards, they have this discussion. So I'm inviting people to read between the lines. And one of the things that people say to me is... You know, it really brings it to life. I mean, I'm sure someone said that to me once or twice anyway, but people seem to respond to it. But I'm always very careful to say, jokingly, but not jokingly, early manuscripts do not include the following. This is not the Bible. This is a, this is a 21st century sitcom writer doing an imaginative discussion, which uh, is not to be taken seriously but it should at least be given a hearing because you get the point I'm making and, th and those sorts of things. And crucially, you don't put words into the mouth of Jesus. Crucially, I do not. Yeah. Uh, and again, we'll probably get onto that in a bit. But I just want to, in a sense, acknowledge the fact that people have a hard time imagining the disciples as anything other than mouthpieces for dialogue in, a, in four different accounts of Jesus' life that they find quite hard to understand and tell apart mm. from each other mm. and therefore to see some kind of composite coherent story episodically done with the narrative of 21st century tv 
that's quite a compelling offer. So I yeah. totally see why people are happy to watch episode after episode of it and feel that it's beneficial. You mentioned that uh, people can probably sense we're about to sort of bring the critique at some point here. Um, yeah. That is true. But I think another thing I'd want to say is if in anything, I don't want people to hear in anything we're about to say the impugning of motives. Because hmm. the thing with this is that I, I do think, I mean, we may disagree with where people are coming from in terms of, you know, from a Mormon background or whatever. But I, I do think for the most part, it sounds as if the motives for creating this series uh, there's there's lots of laudability there. Hmm. They they want to bring the teaching of Christ and Christ Himself to a to a broader audience, as I understand it. And I'm happy to take that claim at face value, and also to say that having had some experience of in creating the podcast Luther in real time, where you're de dealing with an actual actual historical figure, and wanting to bring his teaching to a wider audience and his the events of his life to an audience, yeah. there is something inevitable, isn't there, James? In turning a person's life, turning documents into an artistic representation, whether yeah. it be a radio play or a Netflix series or or, or even just a, a static picture, yeah. there is something about the nature of doing that which changes what it is mm. into what it isn't or what it wasn't. It's kind of unavoidable, by yeah. which I mean, um, originally when we set out to write Luther in real time, we just thought, well, that's fine. We'll just, all we'll do is every single word in the script will just be words which Luther published. But then you've got, okay, but this has got to be a drama. He's got to talk to people. Okay, so we'll just take other people's words and we'll make sure we don't misquote them. Yeah, but they weren't in dialogue with each other. So if you want them in a scene talking to each other, you've, th there's going to have to be some sort of yeah. imaginative fabrication of what happened. And also, you know, if you you can use Luther's words all you want, but Luther never said, by the way, I said these words to Melanchthon whilst walking by the, the River Danube or whatever. Mm. So you don't have a setting. And again, if you're going to do a radio play, you're going to put it in a series, you need a setting. They can't just be voices in the darkness. So again, there starts to be the, the, the element of imagination from the screenwriter's point yep. of view inevitably has to come in. And that is not because the screenwriter has got some sort of agenda that they're trying to deliberately pervert the truth. Yep. It's simply the nature of the medium yeah. that you have to do that. You have to invent those things. Otherwise, you ain't got a show. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you can do that in the best faith possible. Yeah. And but you, you're still going to have to push it in one direction or another, partly because, you know, the, the, the grammar of TV is similar to but different from the grammar of, you know, a written text, which admittedly is designed to be uh, read aloud. As I often say, scripture is a script. Yeah. But suddenly people sort of represent things and attitudes and ideas. I mean, I uh, I wrote a uh, I wrote a touring play sort of musical about uh, Henry II and Thomas Beckett. Famously, yeah. one, you know, one of the biggest, most well-known events in British history is the murder of Thomas Beckett in Canterbury Cathedral in 1170. And so um, I wrote something to do with the, uh, eight, with the is it 850th anniversary of that or something like that. But in that, I was conscious that what does Beckett represent? Beckett represents the church. And actually, Beckett was played by a female. 
And so already you're going, well, that's ridiculous. Thomas was a man. Yes, I know. But the church is in some senses female, especially because mm. Henry II was very much a manly man's man-man, ma masculine mm. male man. Mm. And so I just thought, well, that's kind of quite interesting. And then, you know, I, I, I read some biographies about um, Beckett and that kind of thing. But at every moment you're sort of saying, what is this scene doing in the overall story of this particular piece so for us yeah. it's a two-act um play comedy musical kind of thing in the case of um the chosen it is this episode isn't it because there's there's a series arc there's an episode and all those sorts of things so the idea that you're just going to take the story of jesus saying to nicodemus you must be born again mm. well why is he saying this to that guy then you yeah. can't just dramatize it because Nicodemus comes back twice in John's gospel, but very faintly. Yeah. And so if you want to kind of represent that story and tell that story, then there's sort of no way. It's a bit like, what is it? Is it the uncertainty principle or something like that? Like the moment you observe an experiment, the very act of observation has actually changed the experiment itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I, th I think, yeah, I, I, this is me in longhand agreeing with you, Barry. Yeah. Uh, even when you make a decision about, all right, where do we start this particular story and where do we end it yep. straight away you, you know you're ne necessarily coloring the way that it's being presented and therefore it, it, it becomes different from the source yeah um so that's you, the, the, having got all that stuff out of the way of course it's one thing to create a series a play about beckett it's one thing to create a podcast about luther it's altogether another thing to create something about the life of Jesus, because whilst I might have the occasional sleepless night about, did I really sort of capture Luther properly there in those scripts? To misrepresent in any way Jesus, even if it's entirely accidental and your motives are entirely good, that's a whole other level, isn't it? That's a bit scary. If you start thinking about doing that, there's a the podcast that you sent through to me. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes where a couple of guys are talking about The Chosen. He makes a point in that. He says, you know, if I were an actor and I were offered the part of Jesus, I think I would just immediately just after laughing a lot, I would say, you're kidding, aren't you? There's no way I'm taking that on. Yeah. Because the the weight of that trying to. OK, here's your notes, love. All right, we're going to go again. Just try and be, be a bit more fully God, if you could. I got the fully man, but could you just do a bit more fully? Okay, and action. And yeah, that's a lot of that's a big responsibility, isn't it? Yeah, and you're 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 on a hiding to nothing, as they say. You're going to fall short, and then it's not just the critics who are going to get after you. Potentially, it's God Himself who gets after yeah. you for misrepresenting Him. Yeah, that's a worry, isn't it? That is a worry. I mean, we'll we'll get to second commandment violation in due course. Just words, a good words where ideas begin maybe you should listen to them but before we get there i mean justin peters would be terrified of playing jesus i as a writer would be terrified of putting words into the mouth of jesus and i think yeah. that's yeah. one of the things that made me uncomfortable watching it and at one point i just thought well this is sort of silly the episode i saw where actually jesus wasn't in it that much in the first half but he was talking about he said something about, I've come to preach the message. I've come to do something, but also spread the message of salvation or something like that. And I just thought, mm. that's not a thing. 
I mean, I know, I know what you mean by it, but th- those Jesus didn't talk about the message of salvation. That, I think you mean the kingdom of God uh, yeah. pr- or, or something. And, and I think here is my slightly odd objection to it, which is the idea of a composite Jesus from the four Gospels. And that is why I watched the Nicodemus one is because Nicodemus is only in John. Mm. And therefore the only way that John, that Nicodemus and that exchange can make sense is if you've read John one and two. And so therefore, but there was a backstory compiled about Nicodemus that was believable, but it's just not true. Hmm. And therefore, in responding to that, Jesus, so, he, so in the actual you must be born again scene, the writer switches the order of some of the lines for reasons hmm. I don't fully understand. I, it, it didn't make it clearer. It made it actually hmm. harder to understand. Hmm. But there were other things being said in the gaps. And suddenly I had this feeling, which is one of the potential titles for this episode, but I think we should call it Should I Watch the Chosen? I watched it just thinking, this is deep fake Jesus. Hmm. I'm watching a really good, really convincing, extremely credible, fake Jesus. Hmm. And that kind of ultimately thing, I don't, I don't want to watch this. Um, yeah. So I didn't quite finish the episode, but overall I was like, I, I think the writer here is playing with really, really serious fire. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't want to touch it. And I think it's unwise to go down that road. And I'm uncomfortable having Jesus's made up words slipped in amongst not made up words. Yeah. And I think that that real messiness I thought was very unsatisfactory. And I thought maybe, yeah. it, maybe it can be done. And maybe if my, in my post-millennial view, 7,000 years time, our theology is so well-developed. Our, our sense of Christ is so good. Our <laughs> arts are in such a good shape that we are able to sort of, to, you know, chat GBT, version 6012 is able to do mm-hmm. stuff that's consistent with scripture and particularly Jesus's words, but not now. And I, I just, yeah. So that, that was my kind of real beef with it was, I, I think the idea that you're, so, so that kind of that message of salvation line, I thought that's not from any of the gospels. No. It would be much better if you just picked Mark, we're just going to do yeah. Mark yeah and everything and, and we're going to head scratch us you know it's going to be hard to do but we're going to work out how everything fits together in mark and then we'll do john right and then we'll do or, or you know however but, you decide but, but to it, do it i mean even if you do that we believe don't we that at least in the original autographs the original documents mm. not just the words that are said but the order that they're said in yeah. is inspired yeah. and therefore if we as a screenwriter go oh do you know what we should just bung that over here and move this over here do a bit of you know whatever tetris with it yeah. you'll basically think you're wise in your own eyes aren't you i mean you're sort of but even if it seems to you that it's better that way and it's clearer that way yeah you're basically saying yeah i think i've basically got a better editorial process than almighty god here in the holy spirit so even if you don't really understand why things are in the order they are in john's gospel probably best to go with it isn't it yeah yeah one one would be tempted to say that that scripture is not sufficient um and it needs it needs work and again a good faith interpretation of this is to say yes but they're not editing it on a page and re-releasing a bible of well, this no. this would have been better. 
Um, and that's yeah. where, you know, I think the, the critique of the passion, tr so-called translation of the Bible, it's, it's not a translation. Yeah, yeah. But with this, they're saying, yeah, but we're trying to do something else. We're trying to build a scene. We're trying to do this and do that. And you yeah. go, well, yeah, but I think you may have not so much bitten off more than you can chew. I think you may have tried to bite off something you can't even get in your mouth. I don't think it's physically possible. So, yes. Yes. And know. perhaps if they were releasing The Chosen into a context where biblical literacy was so high yeah. that everybody already knew, as they're watching, they go, oh, yeah, they've changed that bit. I can see, yeah, they've changed that bit. But the reality is, of course, most people simply don't see that at all. Mm. They're going to watch this and go, this is somebody attempting to be as faithful as possible to the biblical text. Mm. And that, again, is a problem because you can't, if you don't see that it's been changed, then, of course, the, you're likely to see it effectively as almost uh, indistinguishable from, from Scripture, just Scripture in a visual medium. You know? What I see is a jealous old machinist who can't stand the fact that his son's become more successful than he has. But you see, you've never measured a man's success by the size of his wife. So let's get into this a little bit, because partly, I guess, this does, as you say, raise the issue of the second commandment. And if you take a particular interpretation of the second commandment, in a sense, this is a very short conversation. Because <laughs> there are those who would say, the Westminster divines among them, that any depiction of not just God the Father, but also God the Son or God the Holy Spirit is prohibited by the second commandment. That was the view of the, you know, you look at the, the Westminster catechisms, you'll see it's in there. Um, I may read it in a second so you get the exact wordage. But that, to create something like the chosen is completely, therefore, off the table. It should not be done. Um, the exact right, the exact wording um, in the Westminster longer catechism, this is question answer 109, it says, the sins forbidden in the second commandment are the making any representation of God, of all or of any of the three persons, either inwardly in our mind or outwardly in any kind of image or likeness of any creature whatsoever. So they were very hard line on that. And that would be, as I say, a short conversation. Should you watch The Chosen? No, because their argument is that's a violation of the second commandment, which is you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or that's in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Don't break that command. It's the second one. It's very significant. Tied to the first one about um, you shall have no other gods before mm. me. If you create the chosen, you are what you're doing is you are um, creating, in a sense, a competing God there who is not actually God. It's, you know, and that's why it's it's bad it's idolatry now that and to be fair that was that your i, th I get the sense because we talked about yeah. it a while back that that's why you didn't really watch it to begin with as well it wasn't just your contrary i'm not i'm not watching it because all <laughs> yeah. the christians are telling me to and the more the more you tell me to watch it the less likely i am to watch it but it was it, it was this particular issue where you just thought i don't think this is a very good idea because of the second commandment so i'm not going to go down that road it pains me to say that there are some parts of scripture which I don't think I'm particularly well thought through on. 
I think this is this has been one of them. I think the Sabbath is probably another one. And maybe I have that in common with a lot of Christians. Mm. It seems very complicated and lots of very bright people take differing views and therefore you can it can feel a bit like a blizzard trying to get into mm. it. But yes, I think it was partly that. It was I, I worked at Ligonier Ministries for a while where you know, second commandment violations were very much on the editorial hit sheet. So that's when it sort of came onto my radar a lot, started thinking about it. But also then, of course, there are the pragmatic reasons, which you and I have touched on in previous episodes, uh, open to you if you, mm. you're a Patreon, where we've talked about, uh, is it wise? Like, when you think about previous depictions of Christ, have any of them really been uh, tended towards creating in you a sense of reverence or awe or worship or have they been a bit ridiculous or a bit reductive or a bit disappointing? Mm. And frankly, you might as well just stick with the Gospels because it's, you know, it's just much more uh, satisfying. So there are two arguments. There's the pragmatic and there's also this sort of principle one about the second commandment. I think I was quite hard line on, I probably would have agreed with the Westminster divines. And hey, they're not bad people to side with most of the time. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good faith position you can have. Yeah, like these are smart, smart men. But I've also seen that uh, there's there's i think some well again we'll we'll link to this in the show notes but i think there are there is a counter argument which says that the issue with the second command is not so much it's certainly not the creation of all images that's a problem because for example god himself a few chapters later commands the carving of cherubim and he uh, commands the creation of the the serpent uh, on the on the stick that moses has you know so there's a depiction of a living thing there so it can't be a prohibition of that the, the oh sorry on, on that there was a terrible pre-titles bit on the episode i watched which was moses making a serpent and joshua was basically coming in and saying that's not going to work um, we need to go and get right. help. We need to do this. We need to do, go and do that. And I was thinking, I don't think Joshua mm. would have said any of those things. Joshua is also a type of Christ. He's got the same name as Christ. We're being invited yes. in some senses. Moses is John the Baptist and Joshua is Jesus leading his people right. into the promised land in the same way that Elijah is John the Baptist and Elisha is Jesus. And so yeah. I know this isn't Jesus, it's Joshua, but he's a type of Christ and he's being a real idiot. Um, mm, and yeah, worry. he wasn't one of the people who was worried about going into the promised land in the first place, wasn't it? It was him and Caleb and uh, or right. something like that. But it was like, this is a very theologically illiterate conversation that is basically being made to fit the the meter of yeah. television and the kind of the sort of the antagonistic sort of thing. You just think, I would have had some some servant say hmm. i don't i honestly don't understand what you're doing how does looking at a snake mean you know now i thought that was that got me off to a very poor start and then you know you like, thought it was ill-advised at best yeah i thought it was very very clumsy yeah so yeah so yeah so even when you're talking about people representing jesus it's like even that it's like oh that's i don't think that's right either yeah yeah right the, the counter-argument to the Westminster Divines is actually that this is not a, a blanket prohibition mm. of depictions of the sun, that actually the second commandment is specifically about the creation of um, three-dimensional graven images carved out of wood or stone or mm. metal, whatever, and created with the specific 
intention that they be worshipped and served. Yeah. That the violation of the second commandment is not a creation of a picture of Jesus. A violation of the second commandment would be if you created that picture or that moving picture with the intention that people bow down to it and worship it. Yeah. And of course, the, I'm presuming that the, the makers of the chosen would say, well, no, we, we obviously didn't create, we, we, we didn't set this up so that people would bow down and mm. worship the, the actor or, or yeah. the or the, the TV or, yeah. you know, what we're showing on the TV. That's not the great. And therefore, it doesn't fall foul of the yeah. second command is what they would argue. And I think the more reading I do on it, the more I'm, I tend towards seeing that as being the case. That yeah. It's not actually a violation of the second commandment. However, however, mm. I do think there are very, very strong pragmatic reasons for not yeah. treading where they have trodden um, by creating this depiction of Christ. I think my response to that is that you I think you're right the the God in Exodus 20 is trying to prevent commanding not not to treat him as other gods are treated which is they do literally create a graven carved image and they would go through rituals in order for the spirit of that um that principality or power to enter into that statue so uh, I suspect the Philistines who worship Dagon, um, the statue of Dagon that falls down in front of the Ark of the Covenant, I think they would have really thought that Dagon was in some senses in that statue. They, I think they did think, the Philistines, that Dagon isn't literally that statue, but that mm. you create something and therefore you... As a representation. Yeah, yeah, it. ideally with, with blood sacrifice or something like that. And these yeah. things are all... so. Um, so I, I think it is a prohibition of that. I think that's really helpful. And it's not that kind of uh, representative thing. I mean, let's be honest, the Holy Spirit descends as a dove, like a dove. In Mark, right. it's like right. a dove. It's not a dove. It's mm -hmm. like a dove. I'm saying yeah. dove a lot. Sorry about that. Um, so in a way, God is using pictures and images yeah, for, for God our, appears in a pillar of fire, a pillar of yeah, a cloud. Yeah, is is he fire or cloud? No, no. Um, um, but there's a symbolic representation there. Yeah. yeah, but two possible applications of that would be maybe if you have a um, a statue of Jesus, a little one that you keep in your pocket, and you hold it when you pray, and you are essentially treating the statue of Jesus as a lucky charm. Yes. In a way that you wouldn't, a rabbit's foot. Well, I'm not superstitious. It's not a rabbit's foot. It's Jesus. Yeah. No, it's right. it's not Jesus. It's some form yeah. of resin um, that resembles yeah. a 21st century version of a 17th century version of a 4th century version of Jesus. <laughs> um, that's that's, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. not the saviour you're looking for. Yes, um, yeah. So, or you're wearing a, or even you're wearing a cross around your neck, and you see that as a kind of a lucky charm, yeah, or a fish, or you name it, yeah. So I, I, I would think that would that might be where we are with that. Or for example, in the uh, before the Reformation, and I'm sure after the Reformation uh, in in unreformed Europe, that if you believe that the mass transforms the 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 bread into the body of Christ, people would steal the bread from the mass. And would take it and throw it onto their fields in order to bless their fields. Hmm. Uh, so that was quite a common. It was always not allowed. Um, I don't hmm. think it was ever, you know. And there were 
special services for Plough Sunday and for blessing the land and Lammas and all those sorts of uh, things. Yeah. But the idea that th this is the body of Christ and I need yeah. to take this body of Christ and to gr grind it up and throw it onto my land is thing that that feels more like the second commandment yeah. violation kind of territory, even though that's not specific. Yes, like, exactly. Well, the spirit of that is like, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Yeah. I mean, Martin Luther nearly has a nervous breakdown, doesn't he? Handling the, the elements of the Eucharist right. um, in his uh, early in his yeah. monkey uh, career. Uh, he drops the, I think he nearly fumbles the chalice holding Christ's blood. Yeah. And so it's sort of spilled onto the dusty floor. And you can imagine if your if your view of Christ is that literal, okay, he's in the he's in the wine here, mm. literally, physically. Um, yeah, that is very traumatic. Yeah, um, and idolatrous. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds like you've slightly moved your position so that this is so. Uh, yeah. According to the second commandment, you're not watching because of that, but you're now thinking it probably passes the sniff test on the second commandment. But it's still, it's permissible. It is unwise. Yes, is it wise? And it is interesting. The article which has had got me thinking maybe the Westminster Divines aren't quite on the money in that particular regard. They actually go so far as to say that the fact that the Lord Jesus is both fully God and fully man means that actually not just is it okay to make pictorial um, depictions of Christ. It's actually a really good idea to do it. In fact, they go as far as to say the doctrine of incarnation demands such representations in our pedagogy since without them, but yes, I said pedagogy. Mm. And by pedagogy, I mean pedagogy. pedagogy um, yes, he so. says, since, since without, if we don't actually create pictures of Christ in his humanity, then a certain, it says, a certain nebulous unreality must attach to the concept of Christ's humanity. So there seems to be positively arguing, actually, we really need to get with the program and, and, and do this kind of thing, do stuff like the chosen, maybe not in the way that the chosen people did it, but do things like that. Because otherwise, mm -hmm. if we don't, we are tempted to think in a docetic way, right? which is that Christ was not fully human. There was something sort of, he was floating a few inches off the ground. You know, he had the sort of the, the perma sort of halo around him or something. Yeah. But I don't think I, I think I'm a lot more cautious than that, I have to say. Maybe because of my experiences of trying to turn historical figures into art. Um, it just seems like any attempt to render the features of Christ for the sake of saying, you know, the... Like, it just feels like as soon as you put him on screen or you put him into a radio play, yeah, you are implicitly saying, this is what he was like. Mm. And that, to me, is problematic. Mm. It feels problem As a creator, that's... I don't want to tread there, really. Um, because I think like Calvin said, our hearts are factories of idols and therefore there's a very good chance that not only is my artistic creation inevitably not a fully accurate picture of who Christ was mm. and is, but also it's going to, people who watch it or listen to it are likely to think, oh yeah, that's what Jesus is like. Yeah. And thus generating yet another idol out of the factory of idols that, you know, that, that is in every human heart. And I don't want to be responsible for that. Yeah.
it's, it's some sort of weird form dispensationalism where we, we sort of hit a pause and we got to get it back on track, back, and it's like, yeah, the 19th century is calling and it wants its post-millennialism back. We will, I'm sure, get into the weeds a bit more. We had a number of great comments from our patrons who have, um, it seems to me anyway, are sort of largely coming down along the lines that we've talked about that, you know, the Chosen is is kind of... There's some issues there for reasons we've already discussed. Yeah. We're going to be getting into some of those comments and engaging with them a bit. If you are a supporter and if you want to do that, all you need to do if you're listening on Apple Podcasts is hit the subscribe button and that will usher it, usher you into this um, this glorious uh, place flowing with, if not milk and honey, certainly um, productive social media type discussions on our special Discord server, mm. which is exclusive and is great, great fun, along with a bunch of other goodies. Have a look in the show notes to see what you could have won if you subscribe to us. Um, also, just go to the uh, Google search Cooper and Kerry Patreon or go to our website, cooperandkerry.com and follow links and stuff from there. James, what else? Is there anything else we need to sort of touch on here as we talk about The Chosen? Just to wrap up, therefore, I'm not sure we're saying that it's a grievous sin uh, to be a fanatic about uh, the chosen at all, but equally, yeah. we uh, we 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 don't need to say, "Well, these people should be ashamed of themselves." It's an abomination. It's like I, I don't think they quite know what they're doing, yeah. and I, I'm not sure what they're doing is doable. Right. Um, it may be permissible. It's almost certainly unwise. And I guess one last bit, then, since we do have a little bit of time, just very briefly, mm-hmm. is that. Isn't it a shame that this is necessary? And I hinted at this earlier in the fact that people think I've not really seen this sort of thing before. I've not really yeah. thought about the. It's like, well, but if we'd really engaged with the scriptures, exactly, and if we actually had professional actors read the scriptures well in our churches, and maybe then, if preachers had preached, I hate to yeah. throw my own kind under the bus, but yes, maybe if we'd preached Christ better. Mm. And preach the gospels better. Yeah. yeah, but also preach preach the disciples better. Yeah, um, the, th- the whole yeah because the, the thing yeah. I often say, you know, when when I do, um, in fact, so you, you don't have to take my word for it. One way you can support me is to go and get uh, my water into wine uh, show, which is uh, recorded and streamable, and I'll, we'll put a link to that in the show notes, and you can watch it. But one of the things I often say is that the disciples don't know how the story ends. So when Jesus says to, you know, Philip that during the feeding of the 5,000 in John, how are we going to feed all these people? <laughs> and Philip just has a, you know, his, his, you know, jaw drops because he, he doesn't, he doesn't know what Jesus is about to do. And he's saying, yeah. well, how are we going to feed all these people? And Philip's like, are you nuts? This is crazy. Or yeah, when right. the ascension comes around and Jesus ascends into heaven, they've not seen him do that before. That's a new one. Right. And so we can sort of marvel with the disciples and also, it's joyous and wonderful and strange, and we can just be with the disciples in that moment. Um, yeah. All these strange moments. Um, exactly. But I don't think we preach them, do we? No, we don't. I always think of the way that we preach the cross, for example, or the, or the resurrection. You know, the, the fact that at the end of Mark's gospel, the proper end of Mark's gospel, mm. not the fake one, um, the women run away scared. And and say nothing to anyone. Yeah, is a fantastic ending yeah. for a for a god. Like it's really weird. Yeah, and to be able to actually sit in that with the women and understand why. Yeah, 
they that's their response rather than just basically glossing over it and saying well of course they hadn't really understood jesus was about to be resurrected and yes yeah. get to that like it's there's there's such fascinating texture and granularity which we would get to if we just were prepared to lean on scripture on its own terms yeah. not rush to the punchline of the resurrection or whatever it is as important as that is and really explore some of the sort of motivations yeah. and psychology that's going on here um, the relationships between Christ and his disciples it, there's so much richness there which we are we are skating over and as a result yeah. producing I think rather anemic preaching sometimes an anemic teaching which perhaps disposes people to to go and watch the chosen on Netflix because frankly what they're hearing sometimes from the pulpit doesn't seem to be be dramatically very satisfying yeah. you know and yet, yeah and yet somehow we've managed to make the Bible undramatic um, yeah. how, how did we do that? It takes real skill. It takes it, real to skill. You know, we've 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 done it, everyone. You know, skill and commitment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think you're making a you're making an argument about the sufficiency of scripture there, it which is I think sufficient. is absolutely key. Hold yeah. on, uh, but also work with what we've got with, with what it actually says, because I don't believe it's been fully tried. I don't believe it's been fully yeah. Um, yeah. performed or read or interpreted. And also, don't forget. As we often say in radio, in audio, the pictures are way better in your head. <laughs> and so yes. actually you don't need a cinematographer to give you a mise-en-scene. Yeah. If you really do engage with the text and think about it and imagine it, you will imagine it so much better like mm. you're there rather yes. than... Because um, that will be the next thing, won't it? It will be sort of fully immersive 3D surround sound gospel Mm-hmm. You know, wow, this is actually like being in Capernaum. And well, on one level, why not? <laughs> but equally, yes. the moment that, you know, Jesus appears and starts talking fully rendered and it's like, mm. yeah, that's right. It's always like, it doesn't matter how many, how many K they're sort of cramming into the resolution. Yeah. It's always going to be less than, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and maybe that's partly because we, do you think we use our imaginations as congregation members? Do you think we're afraid to do it? Do you yeah. think that we're of the mind of the of the Westminster divines who basically said, look, even if you're creating pictures in your head of Jesus, that that's idolatrous? Is there, I don't know whether there's something of that. I think that's quite a tall order to ask people yeah, not to do I mean, I don't that. Know how you, I don't know how you read a gospel and, and without, I don't know how you read anything yeah. without kind of picturing it in some yeah. sense. These are the guys who um, banned all theatre. This is exactly the same time in history when theatre was banned in England. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they didn't want anything representing anything at all in any way. Yeah. Which strikes me as quite a big, tall, high fence around the law that I'm not sure that we're commanded to do. Yes. Then Um, again, if you've ever sat through an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical, you might have thought, actually, maybe they're onto something there. Or a, a bigger, taller fence right at the start of the stage would uh, yeah. <laughs> co- cover a multitude of sins. Anyway, we should wrap up there. Thanks very much for listening. We're going to keep talking on the Patreon because we've had lots of comments from our patrons about it. If you want to join that, as Barry said, go to the show notes and um, go join us on Patreon or click on the Apple Podcast app. Subscribe somehow. I'm not quite sure how you do that, but you can make that happen. Thanks very much mm. for listening, everyone. Cheerio. Thanks, everyone. Bye. There you go, James. That's a brave review. Is it was Ed? It was funny enough. <laughs> I'll take that. That's all right. <laughs> it just covered the yeah. yeah. Just cleared the bar. Yeah.